How, oh, there it is. How many people do I know from more than 10 years? <laughs> there you go, that's about it. How many people do I know for more than 15 years? Probably Mijo and Jerry and Susan and Nancy. And How many people am I meeting today for the first time? What's your name? Barbara, I'm happy to meet you. And who else am I meeting for the first time? Oh. Nancy. You know, I'm happy. I think we're a certain demographic. We have two Nancys here. We probably have more than two Barbaras here. There is a certain demographic where there are a lot of Nancys and Barbaras. And not so many now. Any... Uh, you know, there are, new, there are lots of new Sylvias because uh, the Latina population of young girls has Sylvias in them. Uh, this class started before there was any bu- were any buildings at Spirit Rock. It started, I think we started in a tent over there, and then we were definitely in a portable, uh, one of those... Uh, Constructible, what are they called? Portable, makeshift, something. Buildings for 20 years, and then here we are here. Anybody else is <coughs> here for the first time? Good. I am here this morning since, um, since uh, about 8.15, 8.30. Because there's a class that meets once every six weeks online, which is really fun now because you can go online with the Zoom, and then all the people who are anywhere in the class, anywhere in the world, can who are logged on to their computers by pushing a certain number on their or is that certain icon on their computer. Uh, they they get a little box on the screen so you can have a classroom that's got people all over the country or all over the world, actually. We wonder if we're going to get this place built just in time for everybody to stay home and be here on television, but uh, I hope not. I was going to, I had in mind uh, all week that I was going to talk today about how there are, there are certain phrases or certain, certain uh, learning experiences that you think, you know, this, I really get this. And then something happens and then you really, really get it. And then you say, now I really understand what the Buddha meant by the cause of suffering is um, wanting. Um, or the cause of, or the, that peace is possible how can you have peace in a world like this but I asked I asked people to pick out what was their favorite line that they didn't they do that homework oh thanks thanks Nancy I always do that all the time there you go <laughs> okay
Did anybody do that homework about which is your favorite line that you liked? Not so much for the homework. To know, <laughs> you know, when you get, when you're in grade school and the teacher says take out the homework that was due today, and you suddenly think homework. Ah, didn't know there was homework. I didn't hear that. As a what? What's what's the phrase? What's the teaching phrase? To know the truth only cease to cherish opinions. Uh, I, I gave you about a lot of hints. Okay, we'll start from someplace else. <laughs> what? So, Oh, there you go. It isn't what I wanted, but it's what I got. Ah, how many people find that a uh, helpful thing in life? And it's not, okay. Uh, That actually, now that I think about it this, this first time, that I'm thinking about it recently, I'm thinking that would be one definition of the third noble truth. The first noble truth is that life is inevitably challenging for everybody. We don't stay comfortable long. Really, uh, we are pleasure-seeking animals. We are looking to make ourselves comfortable in our bodies and in our minds. And that is normal. We're supposed to keep ourselves, supposed to feed ourselves and take care of ourselves. Uh, So that needing to do that is not a problem. But needing to have that happen in a certain way and being agitated if it's not happening and there's nothing you can do about it is really suffering. And it's what the Buddha would have called really the definition of suffering is it isn't what I wanted, but it's what I've got. This morning, on my way over uh, earlier, a half a dozen things happened that, wasn't, well, that weren't what I wanted. I couldn't find my... Per- I, couldn't find, I couldn't get my computer to print out a particular page of a certain poem that I suddenly felt was so important to read at the beginning of the class. It's not that important. That's the whole thing. I, I never did forget the computer to work. Then I couldn't, uh, I couldn't find something else that I really felt I wanted to bring today, but I couldn't. Then I'm leaving my house. I couldn't find my purse. So now it's getting serious, you know, that, because I'm going out. I had my key in my pocket, and my car key in my pocket, but I have appointments afterwards that I need to be at, so I need to have my purse with me, and besides, you shouldn't be driving around without a driver's license. Uh, but I finally thought to myself, well, I have to go now, whether or not I have the purse. So I leave. Why are you laughing, Lynn? I, I just have to go without the purse, and then I walk down the three flights of stairs that get me to where my car is, then I get in the car, and the purse is in the car where I left it yesterday because I, uh, I had too many bags of groceries to carry up, and I forgot that I left it in the car. Then I start to drive here. Now I'm a little pressed for time, because, and the traffic was bad. And I thought, okay, now we're on our way, so we'll just turn on KDFC. It's always this is morning drive, KDFC, classical music. I always feel better. I just push the button, KDFC. They're having their fun drive. (laughs) Is this a thing to get irritable about? No, it's not a thing to get irritable. But I want them telepathically to know that I already, two years ago, signed up as a sustaining member of KDFC. So I am convinced they don't have to go it over so many times. Play a piece of music. 
And they come to a long finish, a long wind-up of their talking about the fun drive and the fun drive. And just these few days, we have the fun drive. And we need only 43 people to sign up in the next 23 minutes. Okay. May they sign up? I think they're going to start playing a piece of music. And then the other voice goes on and says, and if you send a pledge for $10 a month right now, we're going to send you the CD with the 500 best pieces of classical music forever. So now I'm annoyed at KDFC. (laughs) Then I get finally past most of the stoplights, and I've got a bus in front of me. This is really embarrassing. This is one of bus for... uh, Older people with mobility issues. Now, am I really happy that Marin County provides buses for older people with mobility issues to get around? I think it's wonderful to live in a county like this. I think it's glad to pay taxes in a county like this where they have that kind of thing and people are not able, not, not able to get out of their homes. It's a great thing. And I'm annoyed at the bus because it's stopping too long for my convenience too frequently. And I'm aware of that. Now I'm annoyed at me for being annoyed at the bus. You know, this is not bodhisattva attitude. Bodhisattva attitude is, you know, it, I really want these people to have bus possibilities. And like you can't get out of it. You can't get out of it because you always end up wanting something different. Now I want my mind to be more elevated. So I am blessing the bus and blessing... I'd like it to be blessing the bus and blessing the tax papers and payers who pay for the bus. But by the time I got here, and then the early class was really good for me because uh, it's always good for me to teach because it reminds me of what I really know, not what I fakely know. (laughs) And uh, somebody said, uh, I opened the class to... Do you have any questions on any of the materials that are part of the class? Whatever. Somebody said... I want to know what does it mean, the instruction, sit with dignity. So I'm saying this all as a prelude for we're going to sit just in a few minutes with dignity. Uh, And then talk about it, actually, what does it mean. What does it mean, sit, sit with dignity? And I heard myself say more or less the following. I said, I think it has two meanings. I think that often when people are giving sitting instructions for sitting meditation, they'll say sit with dignity as another way of saying sit up straight or bring some vigor into your posture or don't slump. Um, Make yourself as present as you could be. I think mainly, I, I may have said it that way, I don't usually use that word, but I'll use it today because I thought, I heard myself say, I really think sit with dignity means in some way remind yourself that this is the most dignified, um, that what we're doing here and our sitting down to do this for the next period of time is dignifying human beings with respect and ourselves and all human beings with the um, assessment or with the uh, awareness that they could become better people, kinder, uh, kinder, for a better word, another word than kinder. They could become uh, kinder. They could get over the fundamental human flaw 
of egocentricity and wanting more for themselves and for other people. Really, they could, they could say, may all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering and mean it. Uh, and mean it, really. Uh, I had been... Um, I didn't remember this just earlier this morning. In the middle of this, I said, you know, human beings, we're doing the best we can. And I actually have been hearing of a fair number of commentators in recent weeks. I'm happy to say, in this torrent of how terrible the world is, and uh, that I'm in the middle of a book by David K. Johnston called It's Even Worse Than You Thought, or something like that. (laughs) Is that the name of the book? It's something like that. It's even worse than you thought. And it is, you know, in the way that he's talking about it. But these other commentators are saying that what what people are saying when they say the politics are becoming too nativist and too contentious and too fraudulent and too venal and everything else. But they're also pointing out that in the history of human beings and the evolution of human beings, it's never been... uh, it's never been a better world. And it's been very interesting for me to hear that. It's been a really big pick-me-up. And, and they say, what do you mean better world? We're melting. The planet is melting. People are killing each other. 60 million people are homeless or are in exile. Uh, all those things are true. And there have been enormous strides forward in, uh, in freedom, in democracies where they're thriving, in health, uh, in women's rights. It's still not good in a lot of places, but better. And saying that it's, it, it, it's not good for the mind to only think about what do we have to fix, but it's very good for the mind to think about what have we already fixed? Look how far we've come. And one of the things that I have been thinking, I've been thinking that along with... Um, uh, 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 along with this other thought, prompt, that's what I'm looking for. We take a writing workshop. The workshop leader will give you a prompt and say something, two prompts. These people saying people are, the world is actually a better place to be a human being alive in now than it's ever been. I think, wow. Uh, and the other reason, wait. Now I lost the other reason for it being a better place. Wait, wait, wait. I was thinking something else. Wait, wait, wait. Um, what was it? Oh, this was the other prompt in my life. I got a, an uh, uh, invitation from Lion's Roar to write a short piece for a piece that's coming out, for an essay that's coming out in next month. Lions roar, and for one reason or another, I didn't have time in my schedule to do it. But this was this was the question. They said uh, it's become true now that after twenty years, thirty years of the presence of mindfulness teachings in the West, that mindfulness is like an everyday word now. That you drive down any street. For a while, there was a an establishment on Sir Francis Drake where it said mindful chiropractic. So, you know, you think, of course, or, well, what would be unmindful chiropractic? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe they have a bad front step, you could trip going in or something. You, know, they, they have to, 
but but mindful everything, mindful parenting, mindful sportsmanship, mindful tennis, mindful, uh, and there really is mindful marriage, mindful relationships, mindful sex. And I really think that if you think about mindfulness as paying attention, everything gets better if you pay attention to what you're doing, if you think about it, if you choose wisely. And if you think of mindfulness as uh, 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 cultivating those possibilities for choosing wisely, like calming the mind down, steadying it, and clarifying its views so that you can see clearly and choose wisely, what wouldn't be better if you were mindful on top of it? What it said in this invitation to write is what is, what, what is your motivating place? What motivates you to be practicing still? And what I would have written had I had the time and the space to write is I think it does all those things and it's good for you. There is, it's true, it isn't anything that wouldn't be enhanced with paying attention about it. I think it's more than that. I think it's about transforming our hearts so that we actually become able to forgive, able to be compassionate, able to see that when people are behaving other than living with kindness and compassion, it's because they are limited in what their capacities are. And that we are, each of us in our own practice, trying to transform our hearts to the spontaneous choice of what is uh, ending suffering in our lives and other people. And we don't have to think about it all the time. It'd be that we transform ourselves to be wisdom figures. That, uh, do you see that, 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 you know, I think about uh, when I, I, I told you about driving here this morning and watched my mind get into all that snowballing of fighting forward, this, 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 uh, finally with myself. I'd like to have a kind of mind that started out kinder, altogether. I'd like to wake up in the morning kindly and forgivingly. I'd like to look at the mind. I don't mind if I have to work at it all the time. This is the best I can do at this point. But, and I think it's great to do it and want to do it. But if the world would just, if the evolution of human beings would to speed itself up to catch up to the evolution of the world and the evolution of the powers of destruction that have evolved in the world, then we could maybe catch up and maybe over, use those powers to you know, clean the rivers, clean the air, uh, clean up pollution in general, make transportation safer, whatever. That we could really transform our hearts to kindness. As I think it, when I think about that, I think that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to make ourselves. There's a line out of liturgy where people say about God, you've made us a little lower than angels. I think we're working on making ourselves angelic in the best sense of the word. Really I don't know if he's laughing or mocking. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? If I think that, it ennobles my sense of what I'm doing here. Okay. (laughs) if If I think to myself, sit with dignity, you're really wanting to, um, 
Purify your heart. That's a line out of, out of Psalms. Purify my heart so I can truly serve. It's also the name of uh, the Vasudhi Maga, which is really the whole path of practice in Theravada Buddhism. And it translates, Vasudhi Maga comes out, the path of purification. That what we're really doing is purifying our hearts. And that's very noble. And about that I would say sit with dignity. We're doing something really noble. Does that make sense? I said, I really, I, I, I felt very pleased. I feed that out this morning. <laughs> or I said it out this morning when someone said, why, why, what does it mean to sit with dignity? So I'm trying to become the kind of person that I would really uh, esteem. And not only that, I'd like to be happy. Because I think that person would be happy to not be self-preoccupied and to be us-preoccupied. And some people just are. So now I think we should sit a little bit. Sometimes I sound very much like a preacher. (laughs) Today was one of them. (laughs) One One of the reasons I think some preachers are particularly popular is they somehow enable people to feel good about themselves. Because you listen to someone preach that and say that, and you think, you know what? How about I could do that? I could do that. So, we'll sit a little bit with dignity. How about for today? Let the mind and body assume the natural peace and ease that is a natural peace and ease of the mind and body and then let it stay that way every time I say that I, I uh, feel great affection for Ajahn Amaro who says the instructions that way because when he says let it stay that way I always think to myself he makes that sound so easy let the mind and body assume it's natural peace and ease and let it stay that way but actually it's a helpful instruction And often it does stay that way, for a little while at least. And then he says, only pay attention for what disturbs the mind and pay attention to that and it will fade and then go back and pay attention to peace and ease. Sometimes if I want two words to really anchor my meditation when I'm sitting just for a little bit, I say to myself as I breathe in, peace And as I breathe out, ease, peace and ease, peace and ease. You could try that if you want.
There are times like today where the silence is so profound, even though there are a lot of us in the room, that I find myself loath to say anything into it. And yet, I find that when the mind is really quietened down and soothed by the quiet, it's also um, more close to what's touching it at that point, what it has on its mind and in its heart. So if you're moved to say something about someone that you know for whom this is a special time, I invite you to speak their name and their situation into this space. I am, of course, always speaking, thinking about my friend Rachel, who um, is in some... Uh, some relief because she no longer has been getting chemotherapy so she doesn't have any pain from side effects but is very much aware that the primary effects of her brain tumor may start to make themselves known aggressively so she has a lot of people caring for her and uh, supporting her so that she's currently comfortable in her life. small restaurant in a little village in Mexico. It became a meeting place for a lot of uh, people and uh, she employed a lot of local people. It was a wonderful restaurant with really, really healthy food. And uh, Monday, it burnt to the ground. And uh, she is so devastated and she struggled also with uh, fibromyalgia for years and just worked through her pain kept that restaurant going and people loved it. She did start a GoFundMe page and I saw many, many, many people from the community uh, with bits of money and hopefully it will help her rebuild because in that area there's no fire insurance. And, uh, it's such a and I know how completely shocked and devastated she is. So I've been thinking about her. But it also made me think about the victims of the fires uh, last fall, who I don't know any of them, but I just realized what a horrible shock that must be for people when they lose everything. I'm thinking about my sister Jeanette, who's in the last stages of Parkinson's.
thinking that my young friend Nora, who is like a daughter to me, and she's getting married on Saturday, and I wish for her to be well-meaning. Sending healing thoughts to my friend Linda, who's had eye surgery that went awry and is facing more, more tending ahead. thinking of my nine-year-old granddaughter who is in her first school play. Um, and for her classmates and herself, the vulnerability and the excitement and um, the resilience of that age, may it, may it uh, not be damaged, may it be inspired. Bernadette, who has stage four breast cancer and also early dementia. So uh, I hope she can find some joy in her life right now. I'm thinking of my friend Kathy, longtime member of the Spirit Rock community, who's going in for brain surgery tomorrow.
I often think when we sit here and listen to each other and sometimes just from the way tone of people's voices or the way they're sitting in the room I I hear more or less clearly what the particulars of each person's petition are but even so I I'm always particularly, maybe today more than sometimes, but particularly struck with you don't need to know the particulars that, you know, all we have to know is that somebody that this person is talking about is in distress or sometime that they have something uh, fortunately good and uh, like everything else precarious so we wish them on those occasions of 
peace and ease. We, we wish them really, may it continue in the full awareness that everything changes. And more often, in the response of each of our hearts to someone this person cares about is having a difficult time, I have the dual response of feeling my heart made more vulnerable and more um, more kind, more wishing for the end to that person's or these person's suffering. And more like that's um, this is the most direct way I know of studying the fact that uh, suffering and discomfort is so inherent part of everybody's life in this way or in that way or in this way or in that way. Not in a way that makes life wrong uh, but in a way that really um, corroborates the Buddha's awareness that life itself is inevitably challenging and uh, a source of suffering. May everyone be consoled by companionship and by goodwill. I wonder if you feel as I do that um, there's something about sitting in a room where people are saying what's on their heart and mind that has a um, a salubrious effect on me. It makes me feel, first of all, there, I, I, I feel like there's nobody here. Uh, there are some people who, who did not mention some, but not to say everybody should mention, but but I think it's true for all of us. If we were called upon to mention, we have somebody that we're thinking about, or we have all the people in the world that we're thinking about, or we have the family of the woman in seat 14E on the Southwest Airline, they're somewhere grieving her, or the parents of the children in Parkland from two months ago, they are certainly missing their people. There's something about hearing about pain in the world as a given that for me is heartbreaking without being, um, it's not depressing. I mean, that's what, this is what the world is. It's got being born and dying sooner or later, having problems and solving them. It's not like there's something wrong with the world or life. This is what happens. The other day I remembered somebody who um, was a student of mine years ago in some kind of mindfulness training course. And she said, uh, she was an adult woman, and she said, you know, I wish that, um, I wish that people came with a label on them, like a shelf life, and that 
you would know that you have 73 years and four days or that everybody would get maybe 70 years no matter what and then you wouldn't feel like it was a bad thing but you would certainly have in mind whoa, clock is ticking, clock is ticking uh, well you could say it would be a lot of good to know clock is ticking all the time uh, and we could do something else with our lives on any time uh, even that's a complicated kind of a thing um, I, I did particularly hear someone sharing about child becoming an adolescent and you know when, when somebody anybody says something there's so often times when my own mind I wonder yours as well doesn't flip to some memory I remember riding up a chairlift on a, a ski weekend with a friend of mine whose children were five years older than my children. And uh, mine had just moved into adolescence. And I was telling my friend about certain tensions that had arisen in our household uh, as a result of that developmental shift. And she said, you know, you only have to hang in another three or four years, five years. And say they get to go away to college, they get to pass 21. All of a sudden, you go from the stupidest, most uninformed person in the world to actually a nice person that they're looking forward to visiting and they want to be friends with you. So you just have to wait through this period until they come through and they see the light about it. Not to say that it's pleasant. But then in hearing that from, you know, from a person even that I don't know, and I'm thinking even my grandchildren have for the most part come through that. You know, only a few of them bringing up the rear on that. Uh, but you remember that that's a thing that you go through. You don't know what the, the stage that you're coming into are really going to be. Uh, I think that a lot now because... Uh, a lot of my friends are my age and we've never been this before and we don't have that many role models because a generation ago or two generations ago people didn't live this long. They, they just didn't. People rarely had elderly grandparents. So all of a sudden, what to do with all these old people who are still in your life? I think that the, my children are now being called they may be a little old for this too, the sandwich generation, because they have the parents over here to take care of and the children over here to take care of. And this was supposed to be when they're finally, they're finally liberated. For some while, uh, 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 there was, I don't think this was so funny, uh, but it was going around on the internet for a while. Uh, what, um, wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. Uh, maybe it was an entire a, a liberation joke. When do you get liberated, or when does life begin? Oh, that was it. When does life begin? It was a bad, bad phrase to make a joke about because it's actually an important religious tenet for a lot of people. But when does life begin? And then the answer would be when uh, your children go to college and the dog dies. That's when life begins. <laughs> But it's not that easy, and, uh, and nor, uh, I assure you, does it end when that happens. <laughs> then something else, and something else, and something else. And you don't know what. It does not come with a shelf life on it. 
It doesn't say you have this much more time to clean it up or to do this or that. You don't know. You know that? Do you know the ride in uh, uh, Disneyland that's called the Space Mountain? How, how many people have ridden on Space Mountain? Uh, it's a it, it's a it's a roller coaster, but it's in the dark. It's indoors, so you don't know when the top of the hill is, and you don't know when the next curve is. And uh, my experience, we rode it a few times. Actually, my husband and I went to Disneyland and rode on all the terrible rides when the first of our grandchildren was not yet born, but was in utero. And we considered that it was our preparation for having a grandchild. <laughs> that when we heard about that, we went to Disneyland and we went on all the rides so that we would be prepared to go on these scary rides with them. So we toughed it out on the rides. None of them actually liked those scary rides, so we <laughs> didn't actually have to do that because we never actually got to like them either. They were, uh, they were upsetting. But, uh, you know, if you know, all right, then you know when to balance yourself. But we do this in the dark, and you really don't know that when you hear that every time there's a story about something that happened just like the seat 14E on Southwest Airlines. This is a poem by um, Wyszlawa Zimborka, who's a Polish poet. It could have happened. It had to happen. It happened earlier, later, nearer, farther off. It happened, but not to you. You were saved because you were the first. You were saved because you were the last, alone with others, on the right, the left, because it was raining, because of the shade, because the day was sunny. You were in luck. There was a forest. You were in luck. There were no trees. You were in luck. A rake, a hook, a beam, a break, a jam, a turn, a quarter inch, an instant. So you're still here, dizzy from another dodge, another close shave, a reprieve. One hole in the net and you slip through. I couldn't be more shocked or speechless. Listen how your heart pounds inside me. You know, I've, I, I printed this out yesterday to bring it. Uh, and maybe I was thinking a, 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 about the way random thing about the window blowing out of that airliner and the woman who died. doesn't matter that it was 14E. There's never been uh, a plane accident like that. The chances of it being, again, ever, now they'll do more safety checks just that way, are very small. And the chances of everything happening. You know what I remembered this morning as I was driving over? Uh, in the 1989 earthquake, uh, do you remember the World Series was just starting? And uh, a piece of the Bay Bridge fell into the bay. And there was, was, when that piece of the Bay Bridge fell into the bay, there was a car on it. And there was a car that had just passed over that section. And a car that could stop and didn't fall in. But somebody fell in. The chances of that are one in a gazillion billion that, that, that there'd be an earthquake and a piece of the bridge fall down. And you, but, but there was somebody there. Everything could happen. 
And in a certain way, everything does happen to everybody for as long as, uh, for as, long as we're here. Um, and how to be able to know that, that it's very all temporary. Otherwise, it could be otherwise. While I was typing that out, printing that out, I also printed out I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. I ate cereal, sweet milk, ripe, flawless peach. It might have been otherwise. I took the dog uphill to the birch wood. All morning I did the work I love. At noon I lay down with my mate. It might have been otherwise. We ate dinner together at a table with silver candlesticks. It might have been otherwise. I slept in a bed in a room with paintings on the walls and planned another day just like this day. But one day I know it will be otherwise. And how to know that in a way that it changes your heart to not, to not squander a moment of it. Um, that's funny, I haven't used the word squander in a long time. And the only time I remember it was in um, in the connection of being on a retreat years and years ago, and I had just started to practice mindfulness meditation. I was on a retreat, and um, my teacher was a man named, uh, Burmese teacher named Usivali, who I only met on that retreat and had one interview with, person one-on-one, and he said a couple of things to me that made a lasting impression on my whole practice. It was one time that I met him, one year, one meeting, 30 years ago, and six months after that meeting, he died of a heart attack. So one meeting, you never know the change in you that's going to happen. The two things that he said to me, I, I remember saying to him, is that... Um, you know, I, I go to sleep pretty early in the evening. My body clock gets tired in the evening. So I go to sleep, but then I get up at 2 in the morning, 1 or 2 in the morning, and I slept enough. And so I get up and I get out of bed and I get dressed and I try not to wake up my roommates and I walk uh, the quarter of a mile in the dark that it takes to walk over to the meditation hall. And I go in the meditation hall, there's nobody there. I think, oh, great, I'm sitting by myself in this quiet room and I sit down and I'm sitting there and right away I'm sleepy. So then I think to myself, okay, I'll just do walking meditation. So I get up and I do walking meditation back and forth for a little bit. Then after a while I think to myself, all right, now I'm tired of walking. Okay, I'll just sit down. Now I'll be wide awake. And I sit down, I'm sitting, breathing in, breathing out, and then I'm sleepy. And up and down and up and down. And I say, you know, I keep on getting up and down, up and down the whole night. Five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, five minutes. I said, maybe it doesn't make any sense. Maybe I should just stay in the bed if I wake up, just turn over and go back to sleep. He said, no, don't go back to sleep. He said, get up, get dressed, go to the meditation hall, and do just like what you're doing. And he said, every time that you're sitting and sitting and paying attention and attention and attention and then you're not and you catch it and you say, whoa, 
starting to fall asleep. Okay, here I am. Okay, I'm going to get up and walk. Just do that. Get up and walk with as much attention as you can. And then after a while, when you think, well, I'm getting bored, my mind's all over the place, sit back down and then pay attention, pay attention. And he said, every moment of mindfulness erases a moment of conditioning. He said, when you wake up from a situation like you're sitting and you say, whoa, I'm really sleepy. So that's a moment of wakefulness. That's a moment where you're awake. I mean, you're awake about being sleepy, but you know what's happening when it's happening and you can make a wise decision. I'll get up and I'll walk back and forth. Walking back and forth, paying attention, and then all of a sudden, drifting all over, say, whoa, I'm all over. That's a moment of mindful attention. He said, every moment of mindfulness erases a moment of conditioning. That's the line that I took from him. Every moment of mindfulness erases a moment of conditioning. And the conditioning that I'm beginning to understand more and more is conditioning my mind to always, to have a, a, a habitual response. Oh, that happened, that's terrible. Oh, that happens, that's good. And more than, how do I know? That a lot of times if I'm thoughtful about something, it's not that. This morning when I was coming to, to Spirit Rock, as I, I think I said earlier, this happened, that happened. It was late. and But I, I noticed my mind starting to be in a mood with myself. And I said, wait a minute. What's true? What's the worst? You'll come late. You'll come late. That's not a big deal. The person who's running the, the uh, electronics for the program will say, good morning, class. Sylvia is late. She'll be here in a little while. It's not a big deal that we get upset about. I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. Like that's important. So this does matter. This does not matter. It matters much more that I not have an accident. It matters much more that I pay attention. But how many times do we get really carried away with what's going on? It's one of the reasons that I'm trying not to watch too much news or listen to too much news, is that the news has the effect that if you hear something, you say, "Whoa, it's all over." It's not all over. It's just a piece of news you didn't want to hear. Might be good, might be not good, you don't know. And I'm really, really these days trying to keep my mind comfortable. Like if it's like I'm carrying around if I were carrying around a baby through a different 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 territory with loud noise and startling noise, I'd be soothing it all the time. Relax, sweetheart, it's all right. Relax, it's all right. You're gonna be all right. Don't get upset yet. We'll see what's happening. I think that much of my practice now it's called Don't Get Upset Yet. Don't get Upset Yet. Because I can see that something happens, and this is really, I think that's what I was talking about last time, but who knows. Uh, but what I want to talk about today, surprisingly, I thought I didn't, I thought this was not the point of where I was going, but it turned out to be, which is usually what happens to me. I thought I was, I thought I was going to talk about my, this, this has started three, four days ago, uh, talk about what's the point of practice. And I think I said earlier, you tell me if I said this, because I taught a class before, maybe I said that here, but uh, about the, the uh, invitation from Lion's Roar, about wh- why are you practicing, what's your goal? And so I, I started this. I said, what's your point? In pra- what's the point of practice? What are you trying to do, really? And I ended up saying, surprising myself, by saying, 
my point is to really transform myself. Um, years ago, uh, when Tricycle was still an online magazine, uh, was still a print magazine, they used to have a yearly um, gathering in Central Park in New York because the publisher was in, in New York City. And it was called Change Your Mind Day. And people had T-shirts. I'd like such a T-shirt. I have to look up to see if they have any. And it said, Change Your Mind. Actually, when I wrote It's Easier Than You Think, which is my first book, I called it I Changed My Mind. And that was the title I put in. And the, uh, the, uh, the publisher said, you can't call it that. Because people will say, well, what, ab- what about? You know, did you... <laughs> Well, you know, I, well, I, you know, so what did you change it to? You know, I changed my mind. Does not necessarily mean I want to, I may came to another conclusion. I, I want to say I changed my mind so that my normal mind, my habitual mind, that doesn't, that, that <laughs> I just was looking for an example and I was going to tell a bad, that it wasn't a good example. I would people would say, okay, this will be a lovely dinner and you're seated between the president and the vice president of the Marin County voters for uh, uh, Donald Trump are your dinner companions. I think, ah, you know, but uh, that's not nice to say because you might be those people. And I... <laughs> now, and actually it happened to me, it happened to me, there was something that happened that it was a... Uh, some catastrophe that happened um, somewhere around voting other than the result of the voting but that's a really not nice thing to say so we'll scratch that anyway I, I was at some church about to give a talk about something or other and there were uh, uh, it must have been actually before the election and it was something about the, the it was in a church and it was about voting and I did find myself sitting next to the president of perfectly lovely person who volunteers at Spirit Rock. So there you go. Why am I going to do that? And perfectly lovely person gave a good speech, talked about how she developed her political point of view. And to see that my mind is, you have to get used to that. Look at that, a nice person who's thoughtful about her political views, who comes to different points of view than mine. Can you believe that? It's very hard for the mind to do that, to put things together. But you know that from me all the time. I have people in my family. You get, you, I'm, but, and it's clear to me that when, when there are people in my family and I love them a lot and I know that they love me, that I don't think about their political views when they come into a room. I think they're so-and-so who I love. And it, only with people that I don't know, they say, you know who that is? Ah, I got a that I, I want to really change my mind so it's not doing that. I want to change my mind that here comes a person who, just like me, has problems. That's what I was most moved about when we were sitting in those last 15 minutes and talking to each other. So to vote as it is, not out loud, about who are you thinking about. And if I, if you, I didn't have to hear every single one to know if someone had marked down bad disease, a recent death, an impending death, uh, something, something, uh, something, something. It would have been all different uh, categories of stuff that people have. I'm often moved by how many categories of stuff people have. There's stuff that I never heard of that people have. And I think to myself, look how, 
um, bodies and flesh and mind are heir to so many things. And yet when we meet people, we say, how are you doing? Fine. How are you? Good. Uh, hoping to live... Uh, <laughs> There's a, I mean, we hope to live long lives. Uh, there's an ad on TV currently of a vital-looking woman. She says, hiking along on a path, and she says, I'm uh, in my 60s now and just retired, and I'm hopeful that I'll have many years of good health, cheerful. So she is not thinking about all the many things that could befall her, which are true. She's thinking of the other stuff, how has she managed to do that? How does she, you know, but we all do that. We always go to a birthday party. We sing happy birthday to you. We don't sing to fasten your seatbelts. You know, it's getting worse every year. But we, you know, we don't. Um, but anyway, what I was thinking about this morning is if we actually sat in a room with a bunch of people that we don't know, not by category, not by age, not by shape or size or physical ability, or not by knowing what they're voting for or who they voted for. And we just sat there with the lights on and we looked at each other. And all we talked about, we sat quietly, and then we said, all right, we're going to sit in this room now for an hour, and we're just going to sit quiet until you're moved to say something on your mind that's, that's difficult for you something that you're carrying with you. You just mention it. My sister Harriet has just been diagnosed with um, MS. Okay. I don't have a sister Harriet. I just made that up. You make one up for me. My brother Vincent has just broken his sobriety after 45 years. My nephew has just been diagnosed as bipolar. My this has just that. My that has just this. If, in, if we sat long enough in a room... And people told the truth. They have all the categories of things that can happen to people. They can get sick in their mind. They can get sick in their body. They can get sick with this or that or the other sickness. And how we vote or how we voted or who we did what to has nothing to do with just human things. I'm, I always hear in my, in my inner echo of mind at that point... My friend Martha, who uh, died, I, I, I frequently mentioned her, because she died eight or nine years ago now of um, pancreatic cancer. And uh, she, in a notable interchange, she said, you know, I keep thinking, why me, why me, it's not fair, why me, why me, why me? None of my family had it. I'm young. I take vitamins. I work out. I meditate. I do good things. Why me? And she said, you know, when that stops happening, she said, I suffer a lot when I think that, until I think, why not me? Pancreas cancer is a thing that happens to people. And I'm a person. So it happened to me. It isn't what I wanted, but it's what I got. And we don't get to know what's down the tracks for us that we didn't want, but we're going to get and how we're going to have the wherewithal to deal with it. But the bottom line is it's a thing that happens to people. And when we all sit here and talk to each other, I think to myself, so many people have so many things. Something happens to everybody. And it just makes me, in my own heart, more, more subdued. I don't know if I can think of a better word. Less irritated. 
It's less irritated. I see a couple of people say, did you notice that? Like all of a sudden, my mother used to say, he's the sort of person, he has a good heart on everybody. I'm translating from Yiddish, so that you have to say it differently. But he has a good heart on anybody. means he's disposed kindly. That's what I'd like to have. I'd like to have changed my mind so that I had a good heart on everybody, even the people who are ca- carrying the signs that I think are terrible signs or that are saying things that I think are terrible things, that I could still have a good heart. Somehow I have to think, how would I have a good heart on that? Because somehow I think this poor person who has this idea that I don't agree with for a second and that I think is a bad idea for the world to have, they got that idea somehow. They weren't born with that idea. They got that idea somehow. And I'm guessing they're in pain from that idea because they're carrying a placard about it. That somehow to have a good heart on other people is really what we're trying to do here. So I started out from saying, what are we trying to do? Trying to transform my heart. And then the other thing that I was going to talk about when we were talking about what are the parts of practice that are most important to you? And I end up saying the part of practice that's most important to me is the whole thing. That the whole, the, they talk about what do Buddhists across the board of Buddhists believe or talk about. More than anybody in the Theravada tradition, what we talk about is uh, the Four Noble Truths. As uh, that Buddhists all over, whatever they believe, there are all kinds of Buddhists, they all believe there was a person who was known as the Buddha, the one who woke up. My favorite story, remember last week I was saying, my favorite story was the monk who runs over the cliff and is hanging on a vine. It's not my favorite story, it changed my mind. <laughs> favorite story this week is the person who asks the Buddha, uh, are you a god? And he says, no. And he says, are you a normal person, a regular person? And he says, No. And the questioner says, what are you then? And he says, I'm awake. And I think it's missing the most important line of that whole story because what I'd like them, the questioner, to then say, now that you're awake, what do you know that you didn't used to know before you were awake? Don't you think? Anyway, so they're awake, okay. But what good did it do you? What do you now know? So I, was, I made a big list of what, what, what do you definitely know? Well, I'm going to get around to the Eightfold Path here. But what do you, what do you think that you definitely know? Since, huh? You're going to die. I'm alive. Huh? I'm alive. You're alive, yeah. Bottom line. And we prefer to stay that way, that there's an impulse in us. We want to stay alive. Yeah. Life is not easy. That my mind tells a lot of stories that aren't true. Tells a lot of stories that aren't true and it tells them impulsively and randomly. You know, that <laughs> the biggest story it, it uh, tells Juanita is it shouldn't be this way. That's a complete, that's a complete mistake all the time because it, it presupposes that there's a way that life should be. And it isn't that way. I couldn't get the, the, my printer to work this morning. What I wanted to print out was a poem that uh, one of my friends in the Midwest sent to me about 
it was called Boulder Weather, and she lives in Boulder. Apparently, it's got. Anyway, she's doing the Boulder Weather, and it's a, it's a short poem. It says, "Yesterday it rained. Yesterday it hailed. Yesterday there was ice. This morning, the something or other bush a bush with the." This morning, the uh, wait, wait, wait. It's important. Uh, this morning, the garbage can was thrown over, and the contents were all strewn in the driveway. It doesn't sound like much of a poem, except like maybe. I hope she doesn't listen to this broadcast, by the way. But I thought, you know, this is a good poem because it means one thing happens, and another thing happens, and another thing happens. And they're not particularly connected, but life happens like this, this, because of this, that. But maybe not because of this, that. Because she said the garbage can was thrown over and the contents were all over the driveway. So either three strong raccoons knocked it over or a bear that has come in from the woods knocked it over and strewed the contents all over the place. So I'm reading this, but I'm reading it with my morning ear of why do I know that? I think, well, those are not the only two possibilities. You know, maybe someone drove up on the driveway and knocked over the can, or maybe this, or maybe that. But I, I noticed it because I was thinking about, apropos of what Juanita says, the mind makes up stories every second. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's a bear, maybe it's three raccoons. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I really want to finish what I was thinking about here. I, I, I haven't remembered this in years, though, so probably you don't remember it either. Um, I looked out of, I, I used to live up in Geyserville, and I looked out of the house, out of the window in the morning. I'm sitting, sitting and meditating in the morning, and I open my eyes, and there's a, uh, how was this? There's a, uh, a, a a squirrel hanging in the crook of the tree that's in front of me, but his head is over the other. It looks like a squirrel came up into this nook in the tree and is hanging over and is splayed out against the tree. You can't see his head. And I thought, wow, look at that. It looks like a squirrel climbed up in that tree and died right in the nook of the tree. It's just hanging there. It looked peculiar. So I knock on the window, say, squirrel, get up. Knock, 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 like a little harder squirrel, move. And it's hanging there in the tree. I think that's a weird way to die. You know, <laughs> what am I going to do with this squirrel hanging in the tree out there? It's like, not, it's not uplifting to see that right out, right out my kitchen window. Get up, squirrel. And I think bad, like a sad thought. Poor squirrel got somehow died in the tree. Just then, the squirrel jumps up, runs down the whole branch of the tree, and I'm so excited for it. Look, it's not dead. It's running down the branch of the tree where I have my bird feeder that's full of seed. (laughs) And now the squirrel is eating the seed in the bird feeder, and I'm banging on the window, and I'm saying, get out of here, squirrel. Eat my bird seed. And two minutes before, I was planning the eulogy of these. 
And, I, and at, the, at the moment, I caught myself. And, what is this? This is crazy. I'm feeling bad for the dead squirrel. Get out of here, squirrel. So why would I feel good about if I'm put bird seed out there to feed the birds? Why can't I feed the squirrels the bird feed? You know that same. You know you think to yourself. But Juanita said the mind is completely a mind of its own. It jumps to conclusions. It makes up stories, and it just keeps doing it at an incredible rate. And it believes it. It believes it. So what else do you definitely know? I, I spend as much time unlearning as I spend learning. Yeah, that, like, what do you want to say as an example? Well, my conditioning about people and things and how things should be. And, you know, learning that the squirrel can eat the bird seed instead of <laughs> everything. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. Said my, like my friend, it's either three raccoons or one bear. How do you know? Maybe it's fifteen squirrels. You know that. Uh, you don't know. I, I, one of the things I say to myself is, "How do you know, sweetheart?" Every when you make a decision, what else do you definitely know that? Yeah, Susan. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, well, uh, the notion of impermanence and how it's, uh, it applies to everything good as well as bad is very helpful to me. Because if something is bad, it, it could pass. It will pass. It will change. It will pass. But also, if something's good, it's going to change. And so you might as well really get into it and enjoy it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Might have. Somebody else there. Okay. Something I read as a quote a couple days ago uh, was when life gives you lemons, make lemonade mm-hmm. and find someone whose life gave them vodka and have a party. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how we left the, the monk hanging on the vine. Think of an alternative ending, or an additional ending, or a different ending. We had the 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 mouse becoming distracted by the strawberry, during which time the monk hanging on the vine creeps up the vine, and the tiger has left and makes a getaway. You know that we don't have to we don't have to read it just as it is. We are active participants in our future. In addition to eat all the strawberries you can. What else? Susan. I want to address the shelf life situation. I think we should realize that we all, we might not be wearing a label, but like I really feel so lucky that I'm, I'm 80 and I'm healthy. And I think that after 70 or after point, you know, it's all... We can die any minute. And I think that if we really have that consciousness really strongly, it just, we cease to be contentious. And um, when we we get that realization, and I think that's really important, that we shouldn't wait for somebody to put a label on us, but we, we'll put it on, a, you know, put it on us. <laughs> that, um, that we're here for limited time, and we better make it as good as we can make it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think so for sure. Um, it makes a difference. But I think in terms of labels flashing, I had this image a few 
a little bit back about suppose we all had uh, maybe I talked about it here suppose we all had those bubbles where what's in our mind was being flashed on a screen here <laughs> so that when uh, when anybody came into the room you could look at it the person looks like the person and here it says got news that sister has cancer today or got news that granddaughter is getting married or got news that so-and-so lost a job, got news that so-and-so got a job, that everybody's got stuff in there. And the, the, general, the general, I think, uh, understanding is everybody's got stuff. And that by coming together in a group of people, and we, we for instance, during the time that we're mentioning the stuff that burdens them for people, the unmentioned thing, every once in a while someone says something like, uh, my grandson just got his uh, acceptance to Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, but he's not going there because he's going on Swarthmore on a scholarship. So then everybody says, you know, that's a, that's a very rare kind of a bird. And, and, then, and you don't know that the plane to Swarthmore is the one that's going to be the one that the window flies out of. That you don't know anything ever, but you can rejoice in things because they're happening now, and you can also... Reach out with your heart, but but what we, we there's an unspoken thing that we all come here and we say, my sister and my father and my friend, we somehow got out of bed all of us. So when, what we're not saying is, and I am still managing to do my life in spite of the fact that I'm worried about so and so, and I'm heartbroken about so and so, and this person I'm trying to spend a lot of time with, and this person I really my heart is in pain for. What we're saying to people is that life is a feasible activity. We can do this. You know, and sometimes people say to me, not so much anymore. They say, Buddhism is so grim. It's not grim, it's just true. It, it's a, it, it is hard to be a person and have a life. We're continually being disappointed, not only on small things like I might be late, but on stuff that we really, really wanted. So that Susan reminding us of this isn't what I wanted, but it's what I got. On my on my street, uh, there's a new house being built. On uh, there was a house that was there for more than a hundred years, and it got sold. It was really ready to be replaced, and a very very big, which is unusual for where I live, one story house is being built there, and. Uh, it's not unusual for people to say to me, I'm walking by and people see the building happening, they say, wow, it's a very big house. Like there's something, uh, it is something unusual, it's a very big. I say, yes, it's one story because the people buying it are a mom and a dad and their child and the mom has such and such a debilitative disease and uh, they're... Uh, and the house is a, you know, a block away from the school, and the mom is a young person with a disease that will increase over the years. And we all got mail in our mailboxes that says that said this requires a change of, of zoning exemptions, and but the and it's uh, and the whole neighborhood said, of course, make all the exemptions, make the house that you need to make. If you tell people, someone needs help. They all do it. Say, okay, 
Now, me, they didn't let me build another garage, and me, they didn't let me... But they got over that. They say, this person really needs that. And you do it. And to think that people are, people are really... See, I got, I got myself in trouble the last time I said this definitively. Maybe I've come full sweep around and I believe it. I think people are fundamentally good-hearted. You know, every once in a while I say they're not good-hearted or bad-hearted. They're just people... Sometimes they're good-hearted, sometimes they're bad. Not bad good-hearted. Some people more than others, depends on the upbringing. I think by and large that we have come this long as a species must mean we have more of the good-hearted than not. What do you think? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was going to say that um, I know or think I know that everyone wants to be loved, right? which maybe is the same thing. I think goodness. so. Everybody wants to feel safe, which is what we feel, and I think it's synonymous with love, is that someone will take care of us. We should all say our name when we're sharing. Go. Oh, uh, Mark. Okay, Mark. I just came to mind that I, I know that um, people in general do want to be part of helping. And it just a case of point, my wife showed me this thing this morning, getting up, and it was a bunch of truck drivers who had pulled up under a bridge where... The, the uh, police had put out a bulletin and there was a jumper. And so what they did is in Texas, so what they did is they lined their trucks up underneath the bridge so that if the person did jump, it wouldn't be as far down. Wait a minute. Under what bridge? Just under an uh, overpass of a freeway in Texas. Oh, so they, they pulled up the trucks? Oh, they lined up all the way across under the bridge. Their big semi-rigs were under the bridge, so if the guy did jump, he wouldn't go as far and there's a chance of saving him. Wow. So it just made me connected. I think everybody, no matter who you are, you know, big rough, rough trucker, yeah. you know, may even step up just for no reason and do something like that. So. Yeah, but that's the reason is somebody needs you. Yeah. You know? And I was just thinking how much that, it might affect that jumper to see people just out of the blue doing something. That, like yeah, that. yeah. So, that give them something to think about before, right? Did he jump? That it's easy to be... I also know that it's so easy to become confused. Juanita said it, that we think a thought and then we believe it. And uh, so-and-so says, I'll call you. And then they don't call. And then you make it in your mind a million reasons. You know, they, they didn't like me. They're, 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 not a, they're not a reliable person. They really didn't like me. They were disingenuous when they said, I enjoyed meeting you so much, but, which might be true. But you also don't know that they intended to call you and they got stuck in an elevator or got hit by a truck or overslept or something. You just, when we don't know, we fill in the blanks. We just like, like taking a test and faking it. You just choose, a, choose, a, choose an answer. I was, I was going to say that, for, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll use the next several meetings to do this because one of the things that I think about a lot is um, the Eightfold Path of Practice. You all know those, the prayer wheel up there at the top that you spin when you're going up to the upper campus. Those are the eight legs of the Dharma. And one of the things that I thought about from the very beginning is that there... Uh, they sound like they're different things. Wise understanding, wise uh, aspiration, wise action, wise 
speech, wise uh, livelihood, wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And I know that in my own life, when I first heard them, what I was really interested in was the wise concentration and wise mindfulness because I, I, I began to learn about Buddhism when I first went on retreat. And I went on retreat. I did not go on retreat to become um, kinder, although that what I would t- say to people is the point of my practice now. And I want to be kinder because I think if to the, whatever degree I'm kinder, I'm happier. I'm kinder to myself. My mind thinks stupid things. <laughs> I'm not so annoyed with myself. I say, well, this isn't just a regular mind. You know, it's like my friend saying, people get pancreas cancer. People have unreliable minds that make up stories and get them caught in them. And we believe all kinds of things that we get in trouble with. She doesn't like me. I can tell she doesn't like me. She looked at me in a slanted way. And then I see she's talking to my best friend, probably telling her stories about me. You have no clue. You know, we fill in all those blanks and things and we make stories. And then we remember the stories. So uh, my friend Ronica Batsnake tells me about visiting her grandmother who said, uh, very old, who had lost her memory a lot by that time. Uh, who said to her, do you know, you do know that I haven't spoken to your mother in 30 years? No, you said, yes, I know that. She said, uh, do you know why I haven't spoken to her in 30 years? And Rana said, I said to her, no, I don't know. She said, actually, I know why, but I didn't want to start up that whole story again. So I said, no, I don't know why. So my grandmother said to me, I don't know either, but I remember that I'm mad at her. <laughs> so that it's a really, it's a, the, the mad outlives the reason for the mind, you think the mind is that that unreliable that it would tie us in such a knot. But I was interested, I was not interested in purifying my mind. I had never heard those things. I was interested in going on retreat because everybody was going on retreat in the 70s. It was the hip and in thing to do. And I liked meditating and I liked being away from my everyday responsibilities and I liked sitting quietly. And I really, I actually hoped I'd have some really extraordinary experiences, like I'd levitate on the Zafu or something. <laughs> but it was in the days that people were presumably doing that, or I'd fall into some sort of ecstatic trance, uh, which didn't so much happen. But uh, many years later, years later, as I began to actually begin to have some skill and differentiate what's happening from what I'm thinking is happening or what I'm telling myself is happening. I begin to have insights into clarity of mind and I start to make some wise choices. I begin to see clarity of mind and the ability to choose keeps your mind from falling into stupidness or really into pain. And then you begin, I began to appreciate that this is about really clarity and wise choice. It's really about wisdom. And then you'd start to think, well, how come... I, it's definitely not about altered states. A lot of altered states happen, especially if you do practice that has long periods of contemplative practice as part of it. Then you have all kinds of interesting uh, altered states. And they're not, not fun. They're, they're pretty much fun. But they're not the point. The point is that the mind sees that I'm tying myself in a knot 
with the not truth and it's leading me to do foolish things and I'm going to fix it up. It's much more a plain and useful and workaday and ordinary than amazing. I mean, what you find, start to find, because Susan is right in front of me, stay amazed, is that the most remarkable thing at all, of all, I think, is to look out and say, this is amazing, you know? The sun came up this morning at the right exact time that it was supposed to come up, exactly in the sky where it was supposed to come up. Everything is happening exactly as it's supposed to. It's amazing. It's amazing that people from here and there and the other place meet each other and have children who meet other people and they have children. It's amazing how this all marches on. And all those children are connected to all those other people by some amount of genetics. I love the ads for uh, 23andMe. Who knew I was this? Who knew I was that? How many people have done 23andMe or one of those ancestors? Were you surprised by any of yours? No. Uh, no, I was not surprised. I would have been surprised. But to really think that the, an ordinary life is so amazing that we get up day after day after day after day, that the mind plays such movies and they keep convincing us it's true. To be able to see this is what will make me happy. This I really, really believe that when I see clearly and I behave wisely, then I'm happy. I think we can do things. We can have a whole life and end it and know that it's got a shelf life. Not even that it's got a shelf life, but my shelf life is not dependent entirely on how healthy this body is. Who knows how my drivers around me are driving? Or the person that, uh, or that there's not going to be an earthquake and the bridge fall down. I can't factor that into the shelf life of people. To be able to know that as long as I live, as long as this body lives, it could live happily and with exuberance and with delight about being alive in a world. It could do that. That peace is possible. And happiness that comes from behaving uh, out of that wisdom. And that the, 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 six, the eight different ways of thinking about clarifying the mind, purifying the mind, which look like eight different things, wise understanding, but that's really the wise understanding. It's all different ways of saying it. And wise um, intention, which is the second, which I wanted to talk about, which I did talk about at some length, because I wanted to say I had no intention at all other than being hip and doing the in thing to do. And I started. I have a lot of intention now. That's what I'd like to do. I'd like to transform, transform my mind. I'd like to change my mind so that it was reflexively uh, having a good heart on all people. That's what I'd like. And towards that end, I want to watch how I act and how I behave. You know, I think it's not accidental that in the days, in the 70s, when uh, Buddhism in general and the mindfulness tradition came to the United States along with other kinds of uh, Eastern practices in the 70s and 80s, people were not so interested in um, talking about uh, morality and doing things in a correct way. As a matter of fact, they said, uh, I remember my teachers, I say this with all affection, saying, it's very good to take on a moral lifestyle, like behaving yourself, because if you don't, 
you'll feel guilty and you won't be able to meditate. So the whole point of behaving yourself was that you should have a good meditation and you should be able to meditate. It wasn't to make a better world and or to make yourself a happier person. It was on behalf of the meditation. So there wasn't so much talking about the, the reason for cultivating generosity and honesty and energy and um, determination. There more talk about getting samadhi and sitting and... But that was, I think, very much a part of the times. And now very much we are talking about morality as a path and really seriously taking on the, the parts of that path. And then the, the, the three parts that I haven't mentioned of wise um, effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration, which always seems like, okay, this is the contemplative part. We would talk about concentration. It's just really steadying the mind. Mindfulness is being able to discern what's coming up all the time. And we didn't talk so much for a long time about effort. And I see sometimes it's even brought, brought up in, 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 in things I read where it's not exactly the uh, literal translation from the Buddha. The Buddha said, wise effort is recognizing when there are unwholesome states in the mind and making an effort to get rid of them and recognizing when there are wholesome states in the mind and saying, oh good, wholesome state in the mind. Peace and goodwill and truthfulness and energy. Let me try to work those up. That'd be good. And so it's four things. Recognizing wholesome and encouraging it. Recognizing unwholesome and discouraging it. And cultivating wholesome and not cultivating unwholesome. But you're supposed to be, and every and every action, the Buddha said, before every action, you should think to yourself, "Is what I'm about to say or do, is this for my good and for the benefit of all beings?" It's actually in a sermon called "Sermon to Instructions to His Son Rahula," that before you do anything, while you're doing something, just after you did something, you should say to yourself, "Is what I'm doing? Is what I'm about to do? Is what I am doing?" Is what I just did, is that for my benefit or the benefit of all beings? And if it is, continue. And if it isn't, stop it, back up, apologize for it, undo it, make amends. You tell people that, they say, well, you have to lead a pretty static life. Every single thing that you're going to do, well, there you feel like saying hello to somebody. You say, well, is it saying hello? Is this for the benefit or not for the benefit? So it's, it would, if you had to stop and think every single thing, that would be complicated. But if when you had started your day, you had started by examining your mind to see that there wasn't any ill will in it, then you could more or less feel relaxed that it was all right. So what I'm going to end by saying and pick up the next time we come is that I come back to saying that I think the Eightfold Path is pivotal. I think the main point of the Eightfold Path is wise understanding about what it is really that we're doing here, why we are practicing. And I think it is nothing less than the transformation of the heart to kindness. And I think that's a lifelong job and you have to keep on doing it and you never end. And I don't think the path goes from here to there. It goes from here to here, I think. And it's the answer to the question... 
If you're not an ordinary man, who are you? I'm awake. And we're trying to wake up here. And wake up to, you know, to what, what's, what is my mind telling me? That's, you know, where did that thought come from? No, 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 I'm not doing that. It comes from, I think, wise understanding and really renewed determination to do things in a way that is for the benefit of oneself and all beings. So I was going to say the path is from here to here. And it's not a path uh, in the sense that you, the different steps, first you do this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do wise effort, then you do wise... I think you do them all at the same time. So I think that it's not a path that goes from there to there. And I, I've, at one point I said, so it's an eightfold circle. You come around here and there and there and there. But every point on the circle is really a reflection of every different aspect of the path. So I think what it does, it collapses down into the eightfold dot. It's not an eightfold path, it's not an eightfold circle. It's an eightfold dot. And we're on it all the time. And that's what we're doing together. Including, and not to say any part more than anything, I would say that when we come here, we get to hear Dharma, we get to reflect on it, we get to talk about it, we get to share ideas about it. And we get to, I hope, be inspired about it. And we get to sit and do the contemplative practice. So we do the whole Eightfold Path just by coming here. Except this morning, when we're in the middle of sitting, I realized that Ace isn't here, nor Brahmani, because they couldn't be here this week. That if Ace had been here, he would have said, you didn't have everybody talk to everybody else. I remembered it, but I remembered it in the middle of when we were sitting quietly and meditating. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, may all beings be peaceful and happy, come to the end of suffering. I'm going to ring the bell. And before you leap up and, re- and leave, have two minutes of conversation with the person next to you. Not about what you hope to learn from being here or what, something about, I'm glad I was here, or who are you, and I'm happy to meet you. Or wish them well. I don't remember when I'm here again. Not next week, I don't think. May 9th. So not next week, the week after that. That's good. That suits me fine. Okay. I'll see you then. May all beings be peaceful and happy. Come to the end of suffering. And in honor of Ace, talk to each other. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.